Hey, good morning, church. You hear me? Am I on? Hello? Yeah. Um, I'm glad to be together with you. We've been working through a series that we've called Square One. Um, like I said, just as we go through the year, we kind of pick up stuff. And so we want to pause and really examine, like, what's the heart of our faith? What's the foundation that we're building on? And make sure that we're building in the right spot. Like, let's go back to Square One and make sure that uh, if the building's not plumb, or if the foundation's not plumb, the rest of the building's going to be out of square. Um, so. That's what we're doing in this series, and uh, we've been talking, we're in a section of uh, the book, that's not right, this might be the wrong slide, that'll be fun. Yeah, we got the wrong PowerPoint in there, this is going to be real fun. Um, That's my fault, Um, but we have been talking about how to walk things out. So as we've looked at this letter uh, to the Ephesians, there's a lot of things to understand, And as we go back to square one, the thing that we're building our faith on is the work that Jesus has already done. So we have, you know, uh, four chapters that are going through and explaining the foundation of our faith actually has nothing to do with what you bring to the table and everything to do with what Christ has already done on your behalf. So that's the foundation is not it's not based upon you. It's based upon what Christ has done. So for me, that's really comforting. I don't know, you probably, you know, are, are holier than me and, and have a great foundation, but I need to put my faith on something else. I choose Jesus for that. Um, and so that's really encouraging. But we're in a section of the letter now that says, okay, if you know all this, and if you know that this is the foundation and you know it's based upon what Christ has done, then that understanding shapes what you do. So be careful how you walk, um, the, the patterns of your behavior. Be careful in how you walk and walk in Love. Walk in love. I'm going to ask you to say that with me. Walk in love. love because it's going, to, it's going to come back. We've got some hard things that, that we've got some things that are difficult to our modern ears to hear. And yet it's on the, built on the foundation of what Christ has done and the exhortation that we walk in love. Okay, so that's, that's kind of what we're doing as we get going. Um, I just ask you to pause with me and pray together. To, let's pray together. The disciples' prayer, um, this isn't like a magic spell, we're not going to call down you know, money from heaven, but this is the model that Jesus uh, asked for us to follow if we're going to pray, um, this is how we pray as people who follow him, so we pray it together. The words are on the screen so we don't get confused, um, and I just invite you to, uh, if you'd like to pray out loud, you can, um, but at the very least, let's bow our hearts and let's begin our week going to the Father together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. I'd invite you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians, and we're going to be in chapter 5 today. Uh, If you are using the blue Bibles, they're kind of tucked under the chairs in front of you. It's on page 1220, Um, Ephesians chapter 5. Now, as we uh, look carefully to how we walk, uh, I want to I want to point out that he says in, in chapter five, verse one: "Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God." So, as we walk in love, we're modeling our walk 
after the pattern that Jesus gave to us, which is dying to myself, laying down myself for the benefit of other people. Like that's, that's the model. Like lay your own pride down uh, and, and walk in love. Then he closes this section, uh, a way that we know that we're doing this, he closes this, that section in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21. So go down to the end of that. It's like the, the, the book ends here. Walk in love as Christ walked in love, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the submission for one another is, is looking at Christ and being like, wow, that guy was awesome and I want to be like him. And so I will, out of respect for him, submit to these people that are not so awesome, Right? I'm reading in between the lines a little bit. And then I want to show you what he turns now to address is the family dynamic. So I'm not, I'm not ready to read yet. I know you guys are ready. Like, let's read it. I'm like, okay, we'll get there. I want you to see what, what, that these verses all hang together and that what he has in mind is, is a description of the family. So you might want to put uh, an underline. In verse 22, it says, wives... And then in verse 25, it says husbands. So you might want to underline wives and underline husbands. And then in chapter 6, so it, it feels like we're jumping, but the, the chapter breaks are not inspired. Um, you've got children, okay, in 6.1, and then you've got verse 4, fathers. So you've got wives and husbands, you've got children and fathers, and then, this is going to feel weird, um, but in, in chapter 6, verse 5, you've got bond servants. And in verse 9, you have masters. So wives, husbands, children, fathers, bondservants, masters. And what he's, he's showing is if you're going to walk in love as Christ loved, then this is how it works out in your family. And you're like, I don't understand. It, it'll make sense when we're finished. Um, I don't remember. Okay, so we're looking at how do we walk in love uh, following um, in our families. So you've got husbands, wives, you've got children and fathers, you've got masters and, and servants. Um, but Jesus is actually the subject. So in this about like 20 verses, or in these 22 verses that we're looking at this morning, Jesus shows up 20 times. So he talks a little bit to the wives, but the wives are in relationship to Jesus. He's talking a little bit to the husbands, but the husbands are in relationship to Jesus. He's talking to kids, but the kids are in relationship to Jesus. He's talking to fathers, but the fathers are in relationship to Jesus. He's talking to masters, but masters are in relationship to Jesus. And he's talking to servants, but the servants are in relationship to All right, you guys got it. So that's going to help us to know... Uh, it's going to help us to hear what, to our modern ears, sounds really uncomfortable. All right, we ready? All right, perfect. Let's do this. Uh, so Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish." In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So we'll, we'll pause there. We've got enough to deal with in those verses, right? <clears throat> Maybe we should pray again. Um, if you'll just let me, I'd like to go ahead and address the text, and I'll talk about what the text is saying. But as I do that, you're going uh, to have question marks pop up, and you're going to have objections. And I understand that. So I'm going to save the objections to after we finish talking about the text. So I'll, I'll circle back. Like You're going to be like, I don't know that I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to it, I promise. Um, so he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. So what do we mean by head? Um, we're talking specifically about a judicial responsibility. So who is the party that has judicial responsibility for the whole? Like in a courtroom, who's the one that's held responsible? Um, it is the husband, and that's a pattern that came uh, from creation. Like God made Adam first, gave Adam some instructions, and then told him that you're the one who's responsible for taking care of this, guarding and protecting creation, especially your wife. Now, if you're kind of familiar with that story, maybe you've heard that Eve is the one that like ate the apple, but if you read the text carefully, or the fruit, it wasn't an apple, uh, but if you read the text carefully, it says that Adam was with her while all of that conversation with the serpent was going on. So Homie was entrusted with this responsibility to guard and protect and to take care of this, this creation, this garden, and also his wife, and yet what he did was he tested her and um, he also uh, neglected his responsibility. So he says, oh, that sounds interesting. I'm going to let that, like, I'm going to let her talk with that thing. And then I'm going to watch and see what happens to her. And it's, she ate the fruit and doesn't look like anything happened. So maybe it's okay. And then when he ate the fruit, because he was the one with the judicial responsibility, that's when something happened. They both knew they were naked. They were ashamed before each other, broken relationship uh, horizontally. They were ashamed of God, broken relationship vertically. And that's why we have sin. It's Adam's fault. <laughs> Y'all are laughing. I thought the women would be like, amen, hallelujah. You can preach that. <clears throat> um, so having a judicial responsibility over somebody doesn't mean that, they, that you have a greater value in them, like both man and woman are created in the image of God, we're equal in value, but we are given a distinct role. In the same way in an airplane, the pilot and the co-pilot have the same value, they actually have the same skill set, both are qualified to fly the pain, they both are able to do that, but one is the pilot and one is the co-pilot. And that's just the, like, they have the same value, the same skill set, but one of them has the responsibility for the plane at a given time. And they can switch, but, like, that's the designated roles. If the co-pilot starts to pilot, then there's conflict in the relationship, and the plane crashes, and we know how that goes. So they're equal in value, but we have distinct roles. And the man is the head. He is responsible to lead, so the eyes are in the heads. So like he can see where he's going, and he's responsible to lead the rest of the body. But something that I had not really considered, um, he's, he's also responsible to nourish. The mouth is also in the head. So there's not, there's not just the leadership thing. There's also the responsibility to nourish. 
Adam tests his wife, and then he neglects his responsibility, and now we have sin. But for the husband, he's supposed to lead and to nourish his wife, and so the wife submits to his leadership and his nourishing. So uh, the, with the legal aspect, so judicial responsibility, I, the way that I think about it is if you're in a car accident, who, who pays, whose insurance pays for the accident? If you, haven't, if you haven't been there, uh, great, I'm so happy for you. But I can remember like having a conversation with my dad and uh, I had had some kind of a fender bender and he's like, what did you say? I said, oh, well, I, I told him it was my fault. And he's like, no, don't tell me you said that. I said, yeah, I, I said that. He's like, no, you never say it was your fault, even if it's your fault. Because as soon as you say, I'm the one who did this, you have judicial responsibility to pay for everything. But if you don't say it was my fault, then perhaps the insurance will split it up. Like once you take responsibility, then you have to take responsibility. But if you kind of leave it out in nebulous, then maybe, then maybe things will get split up evenly. And dad, uh, I don't know that that was right or wrong, but that was the, the advice that I got. Judicial responsibility falls on the person who pays for the wreck, right? So if there's a wreck, the husband is responsible in a biblical worldview. <laughs> you guys are like, cool, awesome. Ladies are like, amen. And guys are like, say what? <laughs> but ladies, like I know, I know this word submit is, 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 a, is a difficult word. And I even, um, um, Ethan LaBeouf, who is a former GCBI student, he's now serving in Lakeland. He's preaching this morning. And he said, hey, buddy, you got you to gotta help me out. Like I need a picture for this. And I was like, I don't know. And I gave the phone to Jesse. I said, what's a good picture for this? <clears throat> um, and so she sent him a message, and he was already on it. But I just want to point out that, like, submission is not a sign of weakness. Like, we read together Philippians chapter 2, in which it says, you guys ought to, to, to care for one another, looking after one another's own interests. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, being equal with God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to held on to. Like, you ought to, you got to, uh, you deserve to bow down to me, which is true. He did, not, he did not count equality with God something to be grabbed onto, but instead he became a servant, laying his life down to submit to other people. His submission to the will of the Father was a sign of his great strength, not a sign of weakness. So I'm not saying that guys are the head of the household because they're the smarter ones, because obviously there are times where that's not true. But the strength of the wife is that she supports her husband even when she's not quite sure where he's going to land. So I mentioned that I showed, I asked Jesse to please send a message to Ethan and explain this whole process, and she was gracious to do so. She says, yeah, it's like when we bought a car. The car that I wanted is not the car that Michael was saying our family needed. And I was looking at it from the perspective of like what I wanted and what I wanted to drive. And he was looking at it from the perspective of what's going to serve our family well. And so when we came down to the decision, I went with, I submitted to what Michael was leading us towards. And now in hindsight, I said, yeah, this is actually what we needed. And I'm, I'm okay with that. She's comfortable with that decision. Um, and the same with our house, which this was a little bit news to me. This is just how oblivious I am. She's like, I didn't really like our house when we toured it. And I didn't, I was not excited when Michael said, this is, I think, the one that we need. But... As we've lived in it now for a number of years, she sees the, the values that, of the things that I was saying, this is going to work for our family because X, Y, Z. And now she's like, okay, yeah. So, But ultimately, if it was a train wreck, this is what might be helpful. This might be some freedom for the ladies. If there's a train wreck, it's his fault. 
His insurance pays for it. On judgment day, if, so, if something goes wrong in the family, like you look at it and say, and you can legitimately just, and God's like, yeah, I know. So wives submit, but husbands love. So being, being head, like we can get this, um, this pride and this arrogance of like, yeah, I'm the boss around here. I got to answer before God. And like, that's just not even the picture that he's painting here. Like, I think if we just take this word, if we make a fortune cookie out of these verses, we can go wrong in a thousand different ways because guys are dumb. But if we look at the picture that he's painting of, of you should love your wife as Christ loved the church, and we begin to see that we walk in love, we walk in love, we then we have a different picture. True love is seeing a need and meeting a need without expecting anything in return, sacrificing ourself for somebody else's best interest. Like that's, that's the gospel of Christ. And that's the call of husbands for our wives. So if she, if she has been given to you to help you, you have been given to her to love her and to lay your life down for her. Cool. This is a good Father's Day message, by the way. <clears throat> now, he says, I'm just going to read it again because I think it's beautiful. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, setting her apart, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. The way that he speaks with the, with the church, he's washing her. He's not aggressive, he's, he's washing, cleaning, cleansing. So that, in order that, he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so that she might be holy and without blemish. The goal of the marriage is not for everybody to be happy, but for us to become holy. And if the church needed washing... She was unworthy to begin with. Worthiness of the other party in the relationship is actually not even part of the question. It's not whether she's worthy of being talked to nicely. It's not whether he's worthy of being submitted to. Worthiness of the other party is not a question. Our relationships to one another are shaped by our relationship with Jesus. Thus, we pray together. I've trapped you into praying together every single week. Forgive us as we have forgiven. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. So that's where I'm getting the, the mouth is also in the head. Nourishes and cherishes, uh, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. What good is a head if it's cut itself off from its body? If it's abusive towards its body? Like, what, what value are we having? Are we adding to ourselves? a head that would think it's okay to harm my body is probably a head we would consider ill. Right? Yeah? Okay. I'm just making sure we're on the same page. <clears throat> but verses 31 and 33, like, level this conversation up. He's quoting from Genesis in, in, in chapter, um, chapter 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So whatever we say about marriage, we also say about Christ in the church. Whatever we believe about the way that marriage is supposed to work is what we say we believe about how Christ's relationship with those he's saving. 
so in order, like, so it matters. What I'm trying to say is it matters. Like, it's not just like, okay, this is, a, this is a cultural phenomenon, and like, we can take it or leave it. We can shape it however we want to. It doesn't really matter what we say as long as it works for us, except that we're seeing here that the marriage picture is a picture of Christ in the church. Now, what's interesting to me, when I was, a, when I was a, a young kid, like, I don't know if you ever get these questions, but I was like, okay, let me see, like, what the first marriage was like. Let me see what, actually, my question was, what does the first wedding look like? And you can search all over the Old Testament scriptures for a wedding, and there ain't one. There is no wedding ceremony in the garden. Marriage, that marriage relationship, is assumed. There's no ceremony. Man was created in the image of God, and the woman was created from man, but man and woman together were created. They are the image of God together, which is not to say that if you're single, that you're not created in the image of God, because Jesus also was single, and like, he figured it out, right? Like, he was, he was God. He got it. He got it right the first time. Okay. But this, this, this unity of the relationship together was, was assumed in the garden before the fall before there was a need for redemption, before there was a need for washing, before there was a need of salvation, there was this picture of unity together and, and self-sacrifice and mutual submission. That's how he meant for it to be. And I do mean mutual submission because we're coming from verse, like all of this is a commentary on chapter 5, verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's a reciprocal relationship. We submit to one another, which, again, makes it kind of difficult because if, uh, we'll say the husband hypothetically was having a bad day and he's like totally being a jerk, which I know never actually happens. If the lady looks at her husband and says, man, he's such a jerk. I don't, I'm not submitting to him. Like, I don't want anything. To, like, he's going to have to come over here and love me before I'm willing to, 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 to submit to him. And if he's over there going, man, she won't submit to me. Like, why would I ever love her? She's being a jerk in all different kinds of ways. Like, I know this is really hypothetical. We can never imagine this situation. But in that case, you've got a separation between the two, and there is no bridge. Like, there is no way. The way that there's reconciliation is for one to submit to the other when they're not worthy. Worthiness is not part of the question. It's, you don't deserve this, but I'm here to show you this honor. What is a head without a body? What's a body without a head? If we want to get hung up in, in the roles, like, then we can just get to, the, get to the point where if you cut the head off, like, it's all dead anyway. So, then, what are we saying to Jesus? For those of us who are married, what are we saying to Jesus by our walk with our spouse? For those of us who are married, what are, the, what are we communicating to Jesus by the way that we treat our spouse. Because he says it matters. Whatever this marriage thing is that is happening is a reflection of what Christ is trying to do in the church. And if we're not married, how do we honor Jesus through our support of married folks? Let, let put away all coarse jesting, jesting and, and jokes and things like that. Like, do we talk about marriage in a way that's honorable, or are we just kind of like, yeah, the ball and chain? Our big idea for the morning, and I meant to tell you this up front, but I neglected to do so. Our big idea for the morning is that a family following Jesus walks his path of humility. 
A family following Jesus walks his path of humility. And there's a strange uh, line about humility where there's a really fine line between humility and humiliation. And in the instances where we begin to like stand on our pride and like you ought to serve me this way, like we are setting ourselves to tip over from humility into humiliation. A family following Jesus walks his path of humility. So, kids, here we go. Verse 6, or chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, uh, here we are. <laughs> my kids, we had an extra hour today, which means they had an extra hour to like be on my nerves. And I'm like, I know what I'm preaching this morning. I'm not going to lose it with you guys today. <laughs> You're not going to get me, Satan. Get thee behind me. <clears throat> okay. Uh, kids, hearing is not the same as listening. Kids, hearing is not the same as listening. I heard you doesn't matter if you didn't listen. So he says, obey your parents. Now, actually, obeying is the easier thing. You don't know this yet, but this is actually training wheels for you because the commandment he gives is to honor your father and mother, which when you're a child and you're in their household, that means you obey them. If they say something, you do it, and that's just it. I'm sorry. This is what it is. But that's a whole lot easier than showing them honor when you're no longer in their household. This is a command that I think shifts and morphs as we grow up. I'll, I'll get through this without crying. Because obeying your parents when they're there with you is one thing, but then as you move out of their household, you, how do you still show them honor when they don't have the same legal responsibility for you? And what does it look like to take care of and show honor to your parents when they make decisions which you as an adult would disagree with? And how do you show them honor when, when, when they're... There are all different kinds of ways. Like the commandment to honor your father and mother is way more taxing than the commandment to just obey. And if you're a child in your parents' household, you don't believe me. You're like, yeah, right. You don't know what you're talking about. But the day will come where you understand. And this is the first promise, or this is the first commandment with a promise. So I think what's interesting here is he's actually referencing back to Exodus and to Deuteronomy. And and if I if I could just briefly Bible nerd a little bit, is that okay? All right, cool. So you've got, you've got the nation of Israel, which is a nation of slaves. And they're not even a nation. It's just a group of slaves that all have the same dad uh, after a couple of generations. And they're kind of living in Egypt, and things are not going great. And they cry to God, and God's like, yeah, I'll deliver you. And he takes this nation of slaves, this people of slaves, and he moves them out. And he says, I'm going to give you a nation. I'm going to make you into a country, which means I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you some rules to follow by. Um, and like that's, that's, you guys are going to be a country and you're going to have a special relationship with me. But as you're going in there, the thing that you need to know is that the way you treat your parents matters. That you won't be able, like you're moving from slavery to like self-ownership, autonomy. You're going to be in charge of your own country. And the thing that you need to know is like the way that you show honor to your parents is going to matter for society. We can't be degrading to our parents and also like build a healthy, stable society is one of the foundational principles. And it's an avenue of God's blessing in a new land. So, but 
again, uh, dads, I'm sorry. He gives fathers some extra instructions here. He's like, look, mom's got this on lock. I'm not going to talk to them. They've, they're still about the submission thing. But guys, we got something else to deal with. Fathers, you guys need an extra instruction here. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline uh, and instruction of the Lord. So for the kids, we might say, hearing is not listening. For the fathers, we might say, provoking is not the same as encouraging. Like, getting action is not the same as training. Um, Telling is not the same as teaching. So, fathers, don't just worry about getting things done. But be gentle with your kid's heart. But you see the two come together, right? He doesn't tell the kids to obey the parents without also giving an instruction to the parents. He doesn't give instruction to the parents without also a reminder to the kids. There's reciprocal because we're unpacking this this verse that we are submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. Kids, if you're going to submit your life to Jesus, that means you just do what your parents say. Sorry. (laughs) Fathers, if you're going to follow Christ, that means you're not on purpose trying to make your kids frustrated with you in order to get them to get something done. The chores aren't worth it. If you get the chores and lose the child, then we've missed it. How, and I think this may be a principle that we all can wrestle with a little bit, but how do our ears need to be tuned for listening? Remember I said hearing is not the same as listening? How do our ears need to be tuned for listening? Because a family following Jesus walks his path of humility. Verse 5, chapter 6, verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same and stop threatening. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So, uh, this, uh, it depends on your translation. Here, um, we've got bond servants. The ESV that I use in the office actually says slave. So slave and master dynamic. And, and when Americans hear slaves and, and masters, like we go straight into antebellum south. And that's actually not the picture that we're having here. What, what, what's One, recall that he's talking about family dynamics. So it was not unusual for households to also include some servants that were in the household. Um, so there was a, a close-knit uh, employment agreement. Like, we're actually a really, like, the picture here is more closer to our modern understanding of an employer. Um, although we don't live with our boss, but can you imagine? Can you imagine, like, not just going to work, but living with your boss and having to deal with your boss and also his family? Anyway, there are some things that we can be thankful for. We are in November now, so this is one of the small things. <clears throat> It says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters. Oh, great. Now I got to listen to my boss. Great. This is exactly what I want on Sunday morning. I thought I came here to be encouraged, and now you're telling me to do good, good work. 
Um, but Christ followers ought to be an asset in the marketplace in whatever role they find. Like if you are working for someone, remember, and what's, what's the attitude? What's the mindset that we go when we punch in with a sincere heart as you would Christ? Not by way of eye service, not just doing the things that people see, not just like doing the bare minimum so that you guys will get off my case and just let me go home, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. So God's saying, if you're punching in, you're not answering to whatever your association is. You're not, you're not, whatever the company is, you don't actually work for them. If you follow Jesus, you work for Jesus. And wherever it is that we show up, we do our work as if he was the one that was supervising us. So, for those of us who work for people, like, we do our job, and we don't just, like, skirt by, and we're not just, like, trying to make sure that we look like we're doing our job, like we actually are doing our job, right? But then, also, for those of us who, like, employ people, we also serve as though Jesus is our boss, Masters, do the same to them. Submit also. Work good for the people that you employ. Stop your threatening. You're not that big of a deal. Knowing that he who is both their master and your master is in heaven. And there is no partiality with him. God's not going to take a look at your W-2 at the end of the year. And be like, oh, well, you, you were in this tax bracket. And so I'll give you a little bit more grace. I know how difficult it is to work with those underlings. And so you'll, you'll have a little bit more grace. But conversely, it's not the other way around. Oh, I know who your boss is. Like, I know, I know how difficult he can be, especially like on a Monday. We know how those days go. No, like your boss is Christ, whether you're in charge of people or not. It's reciprocal. We're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We are walking in love. We are walking in love. We're walking in love. How are we tempted to forget that all of our work is for Jesus? How are we tempted to forget? Like if all the world is his, and every gift and ability that we have came from him, how are we tempted to forget that all of our work is for Jesus? I'll remind you too that like, Work was a part of life in the garden before things got jacked up, too. Part of what we do is, is work as humans, which is why retirement's a little bit of a myth. But that's a different, that's a different thing. Okay. Um, a family following Jesus walks in his path of humility. Okay, I told you. We'd get to our objections, and so I'll try to address these quickly. Um, you don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You don't know my boss. Uh, you don't know my dad. What do we do with these verses if the person that we're being told to submit to is terrible? Right? That's, that's our first objection. Uh, maybe it's just me. I see maybe one other person. What if the person that we're submitting to is terrible? Now, here's, here's where the danger is because I like caveats. Anybody else like caveats? You can hide in some caveats, right? Let's not be so eager to find an, ex, an exception to the rule that we neglect the ideal. Progress is matching the world to the vision of the kingdom. Progress 
is matching the world that we live in to the vision of the kingdom, not changing the vision of what the kingdom should be. I know that marriage is hard. I know that parenting is difficult. I know that being in a job and working with somebody is impossible some days. And yet, if we cannot see clearly the vision of the kingdom that Jesus is laying before us, then we will quickly try to make the vision look like what we have. So that, that, that tension that we feel of like, but does Jesus actually know who he's talking about right now? Like, let's not be so quick to change the vision of the kingdom. For God to, to have a standard is not mean. It's actually a grace that he's taking us towards something he promises he's going to finish. So, abuse is not the standard. Like, I don't know if you read the picture in any of that, that the picture is not of the husband is the head of the wife, and so she has to do everything that he says, and he never has to ask her opinion on anything, and he can beat her, and he can beat the children. Like, that, that was not in there. So don't do that. Can I just say, don't beat your wife? Amen? Yep, okay, cool. All right, good. Making sure. Um, mutual submission and care and nurturing for one another, like that is actually the picture. And so if we're in a situation that's abusive, we have to figure out how to deal with that. Like we are put together as a body to figure out how to journey together. And there may be times where we invite third parties to negotiate. There may be times where we separate for a while in order to, to focus in on what the ideal ought to be so that we can reset. Because we're talking about our habits. We're talking about our patterns of walking. And sometimes we just fall into the habit of this is just the way I've always interacted with this person. And sometimes you need to break those habits in a very drastic way in order to be able to come back and make new healthy ones. But that involves you've got a, a community that's walking together with you, which means you have to trust other people to know what's actually happening. And I, I, I tried to synthesize all of these ideas, because I don't think that um, so, uh, working as though you work for Christ is isolated from realize that, you know, your, your husband and wife relationship. I think we remember as a, as a husband that Jesus is your boss, and I think we don't provoke our wives to anger either. Like, I think all of these things go together. To walk in love, and I don't know, I'm hopeful this is helpful. To walk in love means we have correctly identified the object of our affection. To walk in love means we've correctly identified the object of our affection. I'm tempted to think that the object of my affection is my wife or my children. That's not the object. They're the recipients of the affection. In any relationship, we may show love to many unworthy recipients because Jesus is the true object of our love. Because of our, out of our reverence for Christ, because Jesus is the object of our walk, there are a whole lot of people that are blessed by a loving attitude that don't deserve. The quality of our walk is determined by the object of our love. If the object of our love is Jesus, then there's hope. A family following Jesus walks his path of humility. Let's pray together. Lord, we need you. Lord, I pray that these words would not be burdensome and uh, 
but that where we need correction, that you would work in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would help us to increase our trust of one another, to share what's actually going on. Lord, that you'd give us grace and humility to walk together in a broken and fallen world. Lord, we know, we know we need you. And we know that to walk in love by ourselves is impossible. So we don't build our faith on our ability to love other people well. We build our faith on the work that you have already done. That you have crossed enemy lines to bring those who are far from you near and into the family. And Lord, we pray that you would give us your heart to lay down our own lives in submission to you for the blessing of other people. You are the peacemaker. Would you make us also agents of peace with one another? And the details of how that works is complicated sometimes, but we want to submit that process to you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the vision of a life that is, is pure and holy and set apart for you. And Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's in your name we pray. Amen.